There's something odd about that wizard. His magic doesn't seem right. He was slinging pawns at a B&B when he had an epiphany. And make a part in about time too about not playing D&D. It was free for all and I heard him say, he bought my borderlands. But just sit back and let Spencer do his trick cause you're incapable. Hey, hey, it's me, Spencer, Free Thrall. You know, keep off the Borderlands? No? Oh, you, you, you'll remember soon enough, once I get going. I mean, you know, season four got off to a flying start, didn't it? Three episodes, and I fell off the wagon. Anyway, I'm back in the saddle, and uh, yeah, I know, I know you don't need a saddle on a wagon, but just... Just go with me on this one, okay? Um, in the last episode, I said I wanted to talk a bit about uh, my experience of playing OSE, but I think I'm going to save that for the next episode as I've been doing a lot of chatting with Barney of Loco Ludus about his vantage system and alluvial planes, the setting that me, him and David Sermon are working on and we had a session a couple of nights ago where I was lucky enough to be able to play with Tom Barbelay of uh, the My Rules Are Better podcast and Joe Richter of Hindsightless and Wheel or Woe that doesn't happen often enough and uh, Liam Thompson creator of Sanction sci-fi horror RPG and somebody else was supposed to join us I think they had trouble with their own connections or perhaps they <laughs> struggled to deal with the issues that Barney was having at the beginning of the session but um, profound apologies I can't remember the guy's name sorry I hope that's forgivable as I never actually got to play with him. Anyway, we had a great session of alluvial planes, but something occurred in it that come up in the last session that we played, and that was the presence of magic and how that kind of manifested within the game. And I guess... My thinking from the very beginning was that Alluvial Plains was a real-world setting and that magic was more of a cultural phenomenon rather than a supernatural one. Um, it was more to do with early religious practices, very much about beliefs and how the people interpret the world around them seemingly miraculous things would occur but that was all down to interpretation of the people of that world their you know shamanic approach to the world and their supernatural beliefs 
were something that rose out of the the fact that life was very difficult. The chips were stacked against them. The world was harsh, unforgiving, unpredictable. And a belief in magic was all about understanding and maybe gaining a sense of control of their lives. Things like rituals, the use of herbs, symbols, totems, animal worship, spiritual connection to their ancestry, all that kind of stuff. It wasn't about casting spells as such. It was more about improving the chances of uh, fortuitous outcomes in what they were doing within their daily lives. Hunting, foraging, travelling, hoping for the best conditions possible. The best outcomes of their endeavours. Because, you know, everything would be very much at the whim of the environment. Not necessarily about controlling the elements, physical manifestation of spirits or that kind of stuff. More that the evidence, I'm doing air quotes, of magic was in the perceptions, the observations. Phenomena that could be explained away by more modern scientific understanding of the world. Now, I realise that that would give rise to a game that may not appeal to a lot of people. And very early on, I suggested that I would try and fill out this whole use of ceremony and charms and herbs and stuff like that, which essentially involved me looking into folklore, folk magic, early sort of religious beliefs and stuff like that. And as a result, I wasn't necessarily creating a magic system for the game. Although I realise that having not really stated that explicitly, well, it was perfectly reasonable for folks to assume that I was creating a magic system. And I realised this game I've been imagining might not have broad appeal. You know, people might want a bit more fantasy. I haven't been thinking along the lines of stone and sorcery, which is a term I've seen applied to games like Paleomythic, Worm, Wolf Packs and Winter Snow. I've not really been thinking along those lines. I've been very much considering this as a real world setting. Not just low magic, but no magic. And as I say, I mean that in the sense of there's no spellcasters. And yet, from the perspective of the characters who inhabit this world, the world is full of magic. It's full of unexplainable 
phenomena by virtue of their place within the world, if that makes sense. And I realised that creates a difficulty because it all becomes a matter of perception. For an example, in the last session, Joe Richter's character, who's, who's who was playing a shaman, whose name was impossible for me to remember, but there was a character standing at the edge of some water, and Joe wanted to whip up a wave out of that water that would knock the person off their feet. Joe explained this in the way that his character was attempting to pull waves of energy through the water and kind of yank it up out towards the target. So he proposed this idea, he rolled for it, and he rolled very well, and that is exactly what occurred. And while the events were described in such a way where it's possible that maybe some wind or or whatever caused enough spray, enough water to hit the target, could have been just an odd occurrence that may not have looked supernatural. Um, The point I'm making is that I really struggled with this, yet it seemed to be in keeping with how Joe, how Barney viewed things working within the game. And this wasn't necessarily the greatest sticking point for me. Um, What occurred at the end of the session was that my character, when confronting a powerful shaman, was pinned to the ground by unseen spirits that this shaman had called forth. And I guess, yes, um... I struggle to imagine an explanation for those events that were not supernatural, I guess. And that's where I found myself. And since then, there's been a bit of back and forth between me and Barney um, responding to his episode of Loco Ludus entitled Alluvial Plains R&D Part 5. I left him some messages in feedback to that, which kind of outlined what I'd been going for in terms of how I understood magic within this setting. Barney replied with a series of messages of his own, and he's also sent me an extended message. So I'm going to hand you over to Barney, and then I'll respond to what he has to say. Take it away, Mr. Dicker. Hi, Spencer. Thank you ever so much for those thoughts on magic in alluvial plains. I'm not going to go into too much detail because I think it would make more sense for me to get your messages out in an episode before... And you do, and bef- which will take me more time than it'll take you to get, and maybe 
get an episode out and we end up in some pre-echo chamber. So I'm deliberately sabotaging all of this (laughs) for that. (laughs) But I do remember hearing you say in one episode that you were thinking about doing an Alluvial Plains episode. So I'm all for that. That would be fantastic. So I guess the little thing that I might say here is that I'm not actually massively attached to the magic. It seemed it was simply a a case of in our discussions thinking that we would have something and then trying to put something together. And I'm fully aware that it might it might have ballooned out and it there might be the impression that I'm attached to it. Um I'm certainly used to having it around by now. So at the risk of getting ahead of myself in this pre-echo debate thing, um, I think, as you point out, uh, a certain, a dial, a dial idea of gradation or a switch, you know, have it, don't have it, you know, it's in or it's out, is certainly a possibility. Worm does that, I believe. And does Paleomythic do that? I'm not sure. Now, you know, that's that's certainly very practical, practicable, um, but I'm but it sometimes feels a bit it can feel a bit like an afterthought kind of thing you know, that it's not really fully integrated. Making the magic another way to simply add dice to the pool, I think is is good and quick and easy, but it also makes then the magic quite, um, I don't know, it makes it much more straightforward. There's no potential loss or risk or anything like that and of course that totally plays into the coincidentality of everything and that's all good to give that impression of the coincidental coincidentiality of magic so my final thought in all of this chaotic load of pre-echo messages or post-echo, I don't know, is that I would be completely happy to just let it go. Um, I also really enjoyed the things that that Joe did in our game. It was good fun. Um, but absolutely, if that's not if that's not what we're aiming for, then it shouldn't be there. So indeed, as you say, as we are doing, there's more to talk about. Thank you ever so much, Spencer. Um, I always appreciate all of your thoughts and input. See you. So at the risk of sabotaging your future planned episodes, I am sharing these messages here. And I will just say 
that I have sought Barney's permission to do so. By the same token where you speak about, you know, not being attached to the magic, equally, I'm not totally attached to the idea of no magic. I guess it's more that I've been surprised by it. And uh, yeah, I totally get what you're saying about the idea of a magic system that can be switched on or off and whether that means that it isn't integrated with the rest of the game. And uh, you mentioned Paleomythic there. And I thought I would share with you how Paleomythic approaches the subject. Firstly, Paleomythic sells itself as a stone and sorcery game. So the the magic is very much there to begin with. And Graham Rose addresses this in a section towards the back of the book called Game Variants. Uh, I'm just going to read some of that out. Paleomythic has a very specific setting and tone defined as stone and sorcery in which characters are adventurers in a fantasy prehistoric world. The Paleomythic world assumes a variable level of technology and society somewhere around what archaeologists used to call the various Stone Ages. Brackets, Paleomythic, Mesolithic and Neolithic. But also influenced by early civilizations such as those of ancient Mesopotamia and the ancient African cultures. However, Paleomythic can be made more historically realistic, more paleo and less mythic, if the GM and players prefer. This will require a slight adjustment to the rules, primarily involving the removal of a few talents and considerations around character types and capabilities. The game can also be used as a classic sword and sorcery system, and for this, the addition of some technology is required. So essentially, the magic is there, but removing it won't destroy the game, I guess. Um, I don't know if that addresses concerns in in the sense that um, have you still got as interesting a game after you've done that? I don't know. That comes down to running it, I guess. And yes, um, what I'm thinking is I certainly don't want you throwing out the magic. The work you've done is great. You've really put effort into trying to make this work and how it works. And my response has been simply based on me picturing the world in one way and then during play it kind of revealing itself in another and what's occurred in those sessions has been a lot of fun I've really really enjoyed them but I have been left with this sense of I wonder how these sessions would have played out without the magic behaving as it did. Anyway, Barney went on to leave me 
an extended message. He suggested that I edit this, but it's so, so nice to listen to as is. I don't want to break up the flow of that. I'll play it in its entirety and um, give my responses at the end. Hi Spencer, it's quite early here. I'm sitting quietly on my own. I've made myself some coffee and I thought I would take this opportunity to um, leave you to record you a message. So, here it is. After our last game of Alluvial Plains, you told me that the magic system wasn't really doing it for you, basically. And that came in a really interesting conversation with Tom Barbelay about the magic, because he felt similarly. And it's it's really, really great that you did say that that you that you uh yeah that you that you made that clear for a number of reasons the first reason is it's i think it's always been the the bit of the system that hasn't found hasn't found its its right place or shape and maybe that's because of differing approaches to it that we've had. It's also really valuable for the collaboration in in the sense that, well, your thoughts are as as valuable as anyone else's and uh, the whole aim of the collaboration is that it's that it's all of our game that we can uh, we can we can put our names to and I think an important thing is that from the outset, from the outset, it's always been clear that the setting would have this this prehistoric setting would have very low magic. So that's what we've all signed up to. And I think what's what the next point is about game design. So the fact that we have these debates and discussions that can be quite, I want to say, deep or substantial, you know, that they're not just, we're not just um, arguing the toss over a couple of points or a colour scheme or something like that, you know, we're talking about something really big. And I guess... Then from my from my perspective, I had and this is something I, that I really want to make clear is that 
I am not wedded to the magic system as it stands at all. It grew out of our plan to have something there, to have some kind of shamanic mechanisms in the game. And I suppose kind of in, in in lieu of having... I suppose extensive alternative suggestions from you or Dave I I just kind of carried on if you like um, and still to stick with the topic of game design you know this kind of debate is is really really rich and fascinating primarily because if we can all sign up for a low magic setting but then get to a place where i can argue what i did in the last game was low magic and you can argue what i did in the last game was too much magic that's really, really interesting. That's really, really interesting. The thing that I really want to flag up first of all, and I, sh- I should say I've I've been reading your your the documents that you've been working on about magic, and I think they're great. They're so great, and they open up so much stuff which is fascinating and that I think will fit in with other things in the game. So I think it's great. So the thing that I want to say really loud and clear is that I say we go with what you have in mind, that it's really, really dialed back dialed back even more so I completely subscribe to that completely once again the the magic system that I had come up with was was on the one hand a way of mechanically handling the magic and then starting to try out some kind of magical infrastructure and if I if I understand correctly I think it's the infrastructure that you take the most issue with if you like that that magic is incredibly, incredibly subtle. These shamanic enchantments or these shamanic arts are incredibly subtle. And even if the types of shamanic activity that I'd come up with could be described as low magic, they were already too much 
in the magical form, if you like, too magical. So I completely take that. So, yes, really valuable, really interesting. And I think, yeah, I think the, I think the potential in the ideas that you've, that you've been working on does just, I have the feeling, I have the feeling that, that, that we will all be much more satisfied with that than with, with the types of thing I had been working on. So I don't, I don't want to um, tread on your toes outlining your own view of this because that um, I, I wait with, well, not bated breath, but, you know, that would be exaggerating, but, you know, with, with excitement for, for how you're going to talk about it or have already talked about it. But I really, really like this idea of that you've had of how the tribes manifest the shamanic arts differently or they have different connections with things. I think that's really great because that builds on from the tribe creation process. You also talk about having shared shamanic things. So it kind of kind of makes the whole thing in some sense more egalitarian. Everyone's got a little bit of magic. Some connection there. And I think that is that's really fitting. Too. So, I'm. I'm thinking, of that as being this extension of the tribe. Structure. And so there would be a way of, of finding a, you know generating, the types of. The types of, shamanic. Disciplines or, arts that a particular tribe has and that then those would be those would be in some sense available to everyone and then specifically shaman characters would have something more some particular affinity maybe i don't know i don't know if i'm if i'm getting this a bit out of whack again but maybe based on those things that the tribe that particular configuration of shamanic arts that the tribe has the shaman characters themselves would have something 
of that ilk in a more advanced state. My my concern is that we end up with uh, the polar opposite or the mirror opposite of where my magic ideas had gone. And that would be then, in my case, that it that it seems it's too it's too powerful and my my concern with the the opposite end the thing that you're proposing would be that it's just simply an adding more dice to the pool in the sense that if if you've just got some herbs do, do you do you just add those do you just add those herb dice to your pool i mean that's fine that's fine and that would certainly work for your um everyday shamanics but what does it mean then to play a shaman that's that's the thing that's the thing and maybe you know maybe something that we've had maybe one of the things has been that whilst most other characters are, are quite amorphous in what they do or what their identity is even if we call them builder or carpenter or uh, um, river man or woman or um, hunter or um, ambassador or any of those kinds of things even though we have those kinds of characters already floating around I wonder if the whole issue with the shaman is that it seems like the shaman is a very developed character type, archetype Whereas the others aren't, and maybe, maybe again, this is this is me catching up with with your uh, great thoughts. That there aren't specifically any shaman characters. That nobody has that that bespoke role. But then that would seem to not chime with the history. So one thought I had knocking around in my head after reading your your documents, is it that the shaman is is very much a communal character or a character that aids the group? So they're they're less much self-contained as other characters might be, but are always 
providing the the glue, if you like, um, to 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 boost to raise up the group. I'm going to leave it there because this is a long message. Spencer, once again, thank you ever so much for uh, telling me that that you're not that you're not feeling the magic system. Thank you ever so much for the documents. I'm really excited to see how we can uh, tighten it up, get it into some kind of order. I think there's a lot of a lot of great stuff in there. So thank you. I'm really excited to get the low magic right with you and Dave for Alluvial Plains. All the best. Bye. So, I thought I'd make myself a coffee. Firstly, I want to make it very clear that my feedback is based on very personal feelings about the setting. And essentially a curiosity about how things might play out without this magical influence. It's not about me thinking about things being done incorrectly, more of a a what-if scenario. So, as I've said, perhaps it was more accurate for me to have suggested no magic. Rather than low magic. My thinking being that there was magic in the way people thought about the world. Obviously it's perfectly natural for us to head off in different directions. Following an arguably loose proposal. Deciding on a low magic setting without ever really nailing down what that means. And this is also the reason why we've come up with such interesting and surprising stuff, I think, because we've gone off in different directions. And I certainly don't want you casting aside all the great work you've done in trying to figure out a magic system. Because you have done a lot of work in that respect when compared to the kind of wishy-washy thinking that I've been putting forward, you know? Um, I wouldn't put it so strongly as to say that I take issue with the lack of subtlety in the magic, I suppose, uh, to use that idea of, of subtlety in the magic. I've got to say that I'm a little disappointed you're not waiting with bated breath, hanging on my every word. (laughs) But, um, yes, exciting times. And this idea of having shared shamanic practices within a tribe, I mean, I've been thinking about this very much. Something that binds the tribe together, these common practices. And... Also, this ties in with a 
an idea that I came across that the smaller the group, the more generalised the skills of the people within that group. And it's only when a tribe reaches a certain threshold that people start taking on specific roles within that tribe. Only then does it make sense for specialisation. And I, I think that's where the role of shaman comes into play. And as you say, the shaman is someone more kind of adept at such things. A shaman can afford to devote more time to such practices because other people within the tribe are taking care of the things that need to be taken care of. How that manifests in a mechanical sense, in the more gamist sense, um, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling there. I, I don't really have anything to suggest beyond being able to add even more dice to the pool. So um, that's certainly something we uh, probably need to thrash out a bit more. And I, I think you're right there in that, say, a shaman would have a role in kind of defining the group, in being part of the identity of the tribe. So, yeah, I'm just going to leave it there too. But thanks very much for those messages. Really lovely stuff there. And thank you for reading through the stuff that I've posted up. Well, that's about enough for me, I think. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you so much for your calls. If you want to leave me a message, please contact me via the anchor link in the description. You can always email me or leave me an audio message at spencer.freeforall at gmail.com. There's a Facebook page for Keep Off the Borderlands. You can find me on Twitter and MeWe on the Audio Dungeon Discord and various other places on Discord as Free Thrall. I'd also like to thank TJ Drennan for the wonderful music he provides. And it just remains for me to say, take it away, TJ. Warning, if celebrating the sound of dice hitting the table and pondering the meaning of the many acronyms within your player's handbook doesn't cure that burning sensation, please see your doctor.